Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. And uh, I am Mike. We got Tim and Josh here in the studio. How are you guys doing this week? Good, good. How are you? Yeah, pretty all right. Well, you know, it's okay. It, we, we, Ohio sports are fizzling out very quickly. We've got the Blue Jackets, at mm-hmm. least. But yeah, that was a tough ending for both both the Jackets and the Bucks, fam. And the, and the Browns. Oh, sorry. That's why I meant the, the Jackets. Browns and the yeah, Bucks. the Jackets are still in. The Browns, yeah. uh, tough ending. And, and, and to see a Michigan man do that to us, was just brutal. You got to look at the bright side, though. If you're a, if you're a Browns fan, you've had 20 plus years of just not great, and so since they've been back, this is the best, by far, the best season they've had. So but we had some really good news recently. Chris Olave coming back. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see about next year. We'll see. I mean, I don't think Olave comes back unless he believes that we mm-hmm. got a quarterback that's going to be able to throw the ball. And Urban signed on with uh, the Jacksonville. Jags, man. So that's I, be dude, too. I cannot believe that. That yeah. was like one of the things that was surprising to me. I was like, there's no way he's going to go in the NFL. I'm curious if he's going to go get Luke Fickle from Cincy does he and draft, bring him down there. Does he draft Trevor, Trevor Lawrence? Lawrence? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, got to take him. He doesn't go. He doesn't take that job without without knowing that Trevor Lawrence is coming in there for sure. Josh is over here like, I have nothing to say about any of this. <laughs> I don't follow the NFL at all. <laughs> I did hear about Urban Meyer going. I'm I'm happy for him, I guess. Obviously, we're yeah. friends because he's on the podcast. Right. Best friends. We've got him on speed now. Yeah, we typically talk. He takes talk, all of our calls. We typically talk fairly often. I'd say <laughs> daily basis is, yeah, is yeah. accurate. So I DM him on Twitter from time to time. Just, hey, what's going on with this? You know, get the news. Joke is over at this point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the show. If there's one thing I don't know when to do, it's when to stop a joke. So, you know. But they didn't teach you that in San Diego? No, they didn't. They did Who's not. on this episode? This episode <laughs> is uh, Cassie Young, and she is the managing editor over at uh, over Matter. And Matter's a pretty cool organization. I yeah. mean, it's a it's entirely women owned, nonprofit, uh, investigational journalist group. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that's a bad way to describe it. But they they do investigative pieces on topics that matter here in Columbus, and it was a lot of fun talking to Cassie. Yeah, they're trying to fix the news. I think the news is. Uh, I mean, right now is a crazy time to be telling any any sort of news, but you know, just the the traditional form. I don't think it's evolved as well as some other uh, as as mediums have changed and social media has has exploded and mm-hmm. the 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 access to information. I think news has has fallen behind. Well, I think the hard thing is that like there's there's also access to information that is accurate and well sourced mm-hmm. and. You know, like like there's tons of information out there, but it's not always exactly not always exactly. Uh, uh, let's we'll use accurate as the term, mm-hmm. but no. So it was a lot of fun talking to her and and uh, you know hearing their story and just how it all came together. I mean, yeah, I'm curious to see how, how they grow and uh, you know they're bringing on sponsorship and and money, mm-hmm. but they don't want to be owned. So that's yep. that's a tricky thing. So she talks a lot about that, and uh, I'm excited to see them grow and see what they they can, they can do in Columbus and help kind of tell tell stories and, and get information out right on. ethically. It, yeah, so hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We did. We'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. In hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine 
pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7-365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike. And today in the booth with me, we got Tim. Tim, how you doing? Doing pretty well, ma'am. How are you? Good, good. Josh is uh, off in Colorado skiing. So uh, yeah, we're not as good as him. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he's having a good time, but uh, we're excited. We're here in the booth with uh, Cassie Young, and she's the co-founder and managing director at Matter. And Matter is the only women-owned nonprofit investigative local news outlet here in Columbus, and they were founded two and a half years ago with the mission of covering the most pressing issues for Central Ohio. Currently, their articles focus on economic development and policing, but their aim is to grow to encompass even more matters as chosen by local residents and community leaders. So excited to learn a little more about what she means by, or what matter means by that. And uh, excited to have Cassie on today to learn about everything they have going on. Welcome to Conquering Columbus. Wow. I, I am honestly blown away. I'm kind of speechless because... We've only been in existence a couple of years, and I, honestly, we've been on a lot of podcasts, but I've never heard an intro like that Why? <laughs> anything we've done. So I'm sorry. I've never heard uh, in someone else's words kind of thing summed up like that, and you did a really great job. So Thank I'm like, kind of cheering up here, and this is a weird start to the podcast. <laughs> well, hey, we're starting on a high note, and, and I always enjoy I mean, you know, I think it's important to me, like, I don't know what it is, but sometimes you hear like podcasts where like, hey, can you introduce yourself? I, I've just always felt like, hey, let's do a little bit of upfront research yeah, some of my come up favorite, with an introduction. Some of my favorite podcasters do that. So mm -hmm. I just really appreciated it. Wanted to comment well, on good. it. So thank you for having me. He's done it about 400 and some times now, right? Yeah. So yeah. He's got some 440 in. I think I got, I yeah, think I got, got this down practice. by now. Yeah, you definitely do. Yeah. But the secret is none of you out there hear the times I mess up. We cut that. <laughs> so this was the first time. That was, this time yeah. Hey, that was, that was first take. But one of the places we like to start is just get a little bit of background on yourself and kind of how you got to where you are today. So, I mean, have you always lived in Columbus? Yeah. Uh, ish. So Dublin. Dublin, some people consider that Columbus. Others don't. Yeah. It's still Columbus. It's Columbus. Yeah, it's part. Yeah. Suburb of Columbus County, for anyone that Franklin might County. not know. Yes. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Dublin, um, lived there my whole life up until college, went to Miami of Ohio. Um, mm -hmm. so was still kind of in, in Ohio, uh, and went to Washington DC for a year after school to work for a lobbying firm thought, you know, DC is the place where you go. If I had studied politics in, in Latin America in undergrad and knew that I wanted to do something in the political realm, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew it wasn't necessarily lobbying, but I was trying to figure that out. And I had had an internship. So I went back to work for them for a bit. And uh, it was actually in 2011 during Occupy Wall Street was when I graduated and moved there. And I was working right across from the White House for this lobbying firm, seeing very much on the inside money game and how all of that works. And the lobbying firm I worked for represented everyone from Google to small nonprofits. They raised money for Republicans, Democrats, and everyone in between. Mm -hmm. Then I, you know, kind of was, was also at the same time seeing people camped out outside of our offices protesting the big money game. Uh, and I kind of had this realization like, wow, there's actually work I could be doing in Ohio. And I really miss the pace of life in Ohio, which was really surprising to me. D.C. is a very cool city, but people are from all over. So there's not one kind of culture or kind of mm -hmm. pace. And the Midwest, I apparently am accustomed to because that's where I've lived my whole life. So moved back. And the first job I happened to get was for Franklin County Child Support Enforcement Agency. 
worked as a caseworker. And so since then, I've been back here in Columbus living close to the downtown area. Um, and that's sort of the career that I had for the last eight years um, mm -hmm. and before matters started. So I've been around Columbus for pretty much my whole my whole life. And I am 31 for reference. There you go. Well, so curious, you're looking out, you see protesters out there for Occupy Wall Street, and that makes you say, well, I want to come back to Ohio and be a social worker. <laughs> Ish. Ish. Yeah. So that kind of is how it worked out. Um, it A little bit longer unfolding than that. Mm -hmm. and And what ended up happening was, the first job that I got at, at Franklin County Child Support after having just worked for a DC lobbying firm, um, and in between I worked for the Children's Defense Fund briefly that are that are very much focused on improving uh, the lives of children of color. And uh, my first job was as a caseworker. I was an enforcement, they call you, and this is interesting based on a lot of the stuff that's going on right now with policing. Mm -hmm. um, I was an enforcement support officer. So I was technically a, basically a caseworker mm -hmm. for 2000 parents. These are parents who are on either side of a child support case. And for people that don't know anyone in the state of Ohio, essentially that has a child out of wedlock and even, or from a divorce generally has an order to pay each other child support, whoever has, has a child in custody. Um, and so I, had these people and they ranged from people who had high incomes to people who were barely making it by. And I was seeing a lot of the cycles that my clients were trapped in. And I said, you know, I really am still interested in the systems part of kind of the political and the, in the policy side of things. And I know that I'm not cut out to be a social worker in the traditional sense, mm -hmm. but that it interested me, this idea of working within government systems to improve them. So I actually um, went for my master's in social work and public policy at Ohio State, thinking I could kind of mar marry the two and get into a position in government where I'm actually affecting policies and programs. So then um, we ended up getting a grant from the federal government to start applying behavioral economics to government programs. So what behavioral economics essentially is for people that don't know mm -hmm. is what marketing agencies and big companies have been doing for decades, give people information in a way that makes sense to them, present them choices in a way that informs, but also guides them to make choices that, you know, maximize their benefit, or, you know, at least we hope that that's right. the way we're designing the system. So government programs, you know, people don't participate in them. They're, it's abysmal and I started seeing the way that we were, we were doing research and innovating in the government, but at the same time, you have the contrast of the people on the outside just basically dying for change, like needing change so drastically. And I saw that in the people that I worked with on a daily basis, but I wasn't seeing things in the government really changing fast enough. It's like, we need a five-year like research trial to tell us things we already know mm -hmm. from our outcomes. Um, so I don't know if I... I went back to your question or answered it neatly um, about seeing things kind of on the outside. No, I think it makes sense. I mean, you know, it, and it tells a story. So I appreciate that. And I also appreciate that, you know, when we're talking, especially talking to people like journalists, things like that, that, or, you know, that work with guests and audiences, like you knew to explain, Hey, behavioral sciences for those who don't know. So mm -hmm. I like that. So I remember Occupy Wall Street. I remember that happening. Mm -hmm. I have n no recollection whatsoever of what the purpose was. Mm. Do ah. you know, could you explain simply sure. what that was? Yeah, uh, and I don't know that I'm the best person to explain this, but I'll do my, I'll do uh, the best I can. So they, they were essentially, at the time, one of the big things that they were rallying around was Citizens United, which was a mm -hmm. Supreme Court decision that 
essentially determined that unlimited amounts of money could be spent by corporations. And then it also changed a lot of the laws so that you no longer could trace where these these this money came from because of mm-hmm. super PACs and things like that. So they determined corporations are people yep. and people should be able to, in their opinion, in the Supreme Court's decision at the time, be able to spend unlimited amounts of money to exercise their quote unquote free speech. Right. The people think, well, in the system we're living in, the reality is money doesn't equal free speech because not everyone has equal access to money. And so that's essentially what they were uh, campaigning against. And it it was a very decentralized movement. So it wasn't taken seriously by certain parts of the mm-hmm. political, mm-hmm. Um, the political environment, but others really saw it as, you know, at least being this outside force that was really raising awareness for it at the time. And they were literally had these huge encampments. I remember that part. Right. Yeah. Right, right in downtown DC. Sounds like it was a pretty large failure though, based on the last couple of elections. Well, well that's uh, tying back into, <laughs> you know, what Cassie just said. Unfortunately, one of the, one of the biggest criticisms was the lack of a centralized yeah. leadership group. So like, if you wanted, if they wanted to enact change, like who are you going to talk to? Well, you got to talk to all of us. And so po- politicians generally ignored them because they felt, Hey, it's not going to, mm-hmm. this isn't going to go anywhere. I'd love to tell you a story about what I think it did accomplish mm-hmm. here in Columbus. So I have some good friends and they are now some of this community's brightest young leaders who at the time of Occupy Wall Street were at Ohio state mm-hmm. and uh, Stuart McIntyre, Aramis Sundiata, um, Malachi Suniata and a lot of other people that, uh, some that might listen to this would know, um, they were getting active around Occupy Wall Street at Ohio State, and they ended up creating their own organization called the Ohio Student Association. And it's still act- very active today in pushing for um, things like relieving student debt, um, mass, uh, uh, ending mass incarceration, policing, and all of these kinds of things, racial justice, uh, one of the main ones. And Today, what's very interesting is people like myself, who now now I'm out doing news. Some of them, uh, Stu's working in school on school systems, and Aramis is uh, leading community organizations. We all uh, went through a training program for community organizers that they built right. as a result of all of that. And so now there's 70 people, at least I think a year that went through that for several, several years. And I think still do that now are doing different things in the community, but we're trained in how communities change and how community change is achieved. So that an Occupy Wall Street, the next time something, a moment like that pops up, people are a little bit more trained on what to do and how organizations actually have to move to achieve things. Yeah. And I think you saw it with, I mean, to kind of don't want to go too far down this tangent, but mm-hmm. I'm going to point out, I think we saw that with the, um, the racial tensions that we've had mm-hmm. recently. Right. Yes. And, and the black lives matter movement, when you look at Columbus, like that vote passed by a mile mm-hmm. to implement, um, the, the civilian, review, the civilian, board. civilian mm-hmm. review board, right. That vote passed by a mile. So like, clearly the message got out, the protests delivered the message and we got action from it. Whereas with Occupy Wall Street, right. Maybe you didn't see that because mm-hmm. they weren't as prepared. But and I think it was a bit was of a, a big precursor. Yeah, in social media, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, organizing. Yeah, it's Instagram is wasn't so its different. thing. Uh, you know, Twitter was still technically in its infancy. I mean, Twitter was 06, but it didn't really get that wow. mass until like 13 or whatever. I forget that. Yeah. yeah, Instagram came out in 2010, but it didn't have mass appeal. Until, I will. I will fight people much for later. Twitter. Twitter, like, <laughs> so like some people like mm-hmm. really hate on Twitter, but man, like. Twitter is one of the best social media out there. And if you're not on it, 
Shame on you. I wish Marissa was going to be on this episode instead of me tonight. Originally, she is. She called herself a Twitter freak on our live last night because she loves Twitter. I'm more uh, of Instagram, yeah. but it works because each one of us kind of work our Matter account mm-hmm. from each one mm-hmm. and knows how to engage on that platform. Twitter overwhelms the heck out of me, but I mm-hmm. love Instagram. So it's, it's I'm all I'm I will all fight about people it, for Twitter. I feel it. They're very, I, I'm big on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're very different too. Yeah. So yes. in in saying that you're good at sports would be like social media yeah. is sports, but you could be really good at basketball and suck at swimming or whatever. Right. Right. And so Twitter and Instagram are by far different types of the way that you provide value in that in different that audiences. community. Yeah. Absolutely. I actually just reset my my Twitter. I, I had a Twitter in 06. Mm. I was dating this girl back in the day and she was like, you'd like this thing. And being like the insecure kid I was, I was like, no, that's for girls or whatever. Not knowing anything yeah, about yeah. it. <laughs> so I made one or whatever. And then I deleted it because I was like, no, like she told me it was cool. I'm going to be my own man. So mm-hmm. I lost out on, you know, at Tim or whatever, like oh, the short wow. name. But I sh- very shortly after started another one and I was in bands and, you know, all the different shit that I've done. So I realized I had this massive audience, but they're none of them are the same or similar. Right. And I just had this clutter of ever. So I just literally deleted it and started a new one yeah. like a couple months ago. So it's weird because I have this very small audience now, but now my feed is very tailored to, you know, the things that I want. And you mm-hmm. can jump into conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow a lot of people who manage audiences for like, big sports companies or different, you know, they're like, they're very much so what you want to see. Mm. And the way that Twitter works differently than Instagram, Instagram, you can put out content and let people consume it. I think Twitter, you have to engage in conversation yeah. mm-hmm. and you can't just read what people are saying. Cause anywhere people can use things in incorrectly and just tell you. Right. Yeah. But if you find people, one that you have vetted and you can trust information from, mm-hmm. for example, sports, it's a little different than politics, but right. I can tell from certain people it, what is happening ahead of time. That way I pick up players in fantasy football faster. I switch my things and make money, right? Mm-hmm. Same way with politics. You know, you can get your news, but if you're getting it from somebody who's not necessarily right. vetted, that's on you. You know, that's the difference between social media. I think then anybody can say anything mm-hmm. and you have to, you have to take that and then, you know, kind of, you have to curate your audience. You don't want to be caught in like an echo chamber, but you have to make sure yep. that you're not just reading whatever, you know? And so Twitter differs from Instagram in, in that, in that sense. But like I, like we were saying, getting back yeah. on track is when Occupy Wall Street was happening is different than the Black Lives Matter movement, which I think can also be related as, it, you know, I don't understand what Occupy Wall Street was trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Lots of people hear Black Lives Matter and don't understand what it was trying to accomplish. Right. Or maybe one person gets on Twitter and says something as if they represent the movement, which they don't. Right. And then yep. somebody else says this and that, and all this information gets out. And so I think being vocal about an opinion versus uh, like you're talking about moving a community, right? Mm-hmm. These were obviously issues, right? People that died, people died that shouldn't have died. So there's emotion in response to it, which is totally validated. And then there's, what do we do to fix it? And I think those got blurred a lot. Well, and I think from a political perspective, like, like that is part of the game, right? Like politicians purposely blur those lines mm-hmm. and find ways to kind of- A lot know, of times hey, for personal gain or self-preservation. Yeah, we're yeah. just going to- push this off. Eventually it's going to go away, but I want to get back on track. We've kind of gone again. Here we are. We said we, would. we were talking okay. about, it I think the it's podcast. very related though. To it's what sure. it is. Absolutely. It and where it came from. Yeah. But uh, let's bring it back. So when does matter come along? Yeah. So we uh, were technically founded in about summer of 2018. Okay. We all met each other a little bit before that. Uh, what had happened was, uh, and this is from my perspective, kind of where this started for me, and I won't take it back too far, but essentially when the Trump election, uh, when Trump got elected around that time, you know, I stopped posting as much about national politics because it was just so divisive. I started mm-hmm. focusing, like, let's let's focus local, let's 
connect with each other on things at least that we we can tangibly, you know, kind of connect over and, and actually affect change on. And so I started posting more about what I knew and what I was seeing as I was getting more involved in community organizing at the time. I was working at this child support agency. I was in grad school and I was also doing community organizing and really started uh, just to post more about Columbus's power structure, the way city council works, the fact that they're not elected by the people, they're appointed most of the time, at least initially. Um, and I started hearing from people that I would not expect, mm-hmm. um, where can I learn more about this? Or, you know, and I would say to them, unfortunately, there are no news sources in the city that write or put out content about these things that talk about them with any nuance, that talk about the root of the issues. Sadly, I know really the nuances of this because I'm either involved or I know people who are. And so that really signaled for me, okay, at the time I was working in government innovation and I was like, you know what, I'm not seeing things in government change as fast. And I think I'm realizing it's because people are telling me they want to get more involved locally, but first they feel like they need more information and they need to understand what they're truly advocating for and, and what is at play. So I'm like, okay, this signals a market gap for me. People are telling me they learn more from my Instagram than from the local news. And <clears throat> I flailed around for about a year and a half with some good friends, including, um, Kevin Truitt, uh, who became our board chair and, and a couple of others. Um, and I didn't know how to start a news outlet. I have no journalism background. Um, but in, uh, early 2018, I decided I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to buy a camera, start making a documentary about something that I think is interesting in Columbus and isn't getting enough like nuance in the, in the media. And that I decided was the growth and development of the city. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, maybe a couple years down the road, I'll figure out make some connections, learn this news stuff, you know, figure it out. Uh, two months in, I was on a shoot and I met Jalen Grisso, who's been, she's only 26 years old, but she's been an investigative journalist for over a decade. Wow. And uh, she's worked for Mother Jones Magazine, which is a national magazine. She's worked for a nonprofit uh, news outlet, Honolulu Civil Beat, which is a similar news outlet ish to matter, but in Honolulu. Um, and you know, the first time we, we met up and decided to talk about kind of, uh, my idea to start a news outlet, she was like, well, I was just thinking about moving away here. She's from Montana and, uh, Wyoming. And she said, you know, I was just actually about to move from Columbus thinking about moving with my partner because there aren't very many good journalism jobs here. There's not investigative work that I was expecting. There's no nonprofit or indie kind of outlets here. Um, and she was like, let me think about, think about it. And she got back to me and she's like, let's, you know, let's do this. Would I be coming into your thing? Is this 50, 50? I'm like, you're the journalist. I have no idea what I'm doing really. Uh, you know, like let's do this. So then, uh, shortly after recruited Marissa Twig, who's the third co-founder and, uh, we, with a lot of our friends and just like volunteers have been building ever since, uh, we started publishing in November of 2018. So we've really been publishing for two years now. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So I guess there's a couple things running through my mind, right? So, and it's funny how these types of things typically are kind of spontaneous like mm-hmm. that where you have an idea and then all of a sudden like you meet together. the right people right? Mm-hmm. because you're, you're pursuing it, mm-hmm. which I think is something that, you know, not enough people consider, right? Like, Hey, I've got an idea, but I don't have the right people around me. Well, mm-hmm. start trying to do that mm-hmm. idea 
and you'll find them. It'll they'll, come faster than yeah. you can believe. You know, you reach out to people, find like talk to people like, hey, I'm working on this idea. You're going to find the right people. And that's yeah. what Pretty I quick. did. Ask questions. And, and in Columbus, it's so easy to do. So I'm very fortunate with with my network and some of my friends that how that how that even came about was one of my good friends is Alexia Winfield. She's the founder of the Columbus Book Project and Humans of Columbus. And she had in her coffee table books, worked with Loose Films, uh, mm -hmm. who is a local film company. Uh, and she said, you know, you really need to reach out to them because you're doing, so you're, I know you're doing something film related. It wasn't even really related to the kind of work they do, but they were willing to at least sit down with me. They're like, come on a shoot. It's actually a documentary style one. So you can kind of get some experience. And that's where I met my co-founder. So it's like just kind of pursuing mm -hmm. those paths and making those connections. And especially in a city like this really does pay off. I mean, they, again, I can't sell it enough. That's one of the biggest things about Columbus that, you know, makes us unique is that you can get, I mean, you can meet with anybody here, mm -hmm. right? People will take meetings with you. It's not like, you know, a big city where you go and you can't get an appointment with the CEO or right. some big corporation, right? Like for conquering Columbus, man, we met with the president of fifth third bank and it was no problem. Right. And yeah. he's a busy guy, right. You mm -hmm. know, but they're all like, everybody likes to make time for you. That's the Midwest. That's right. why I came back. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But so why nonprofit? Yeah. So when, the second time I think Jalen and I sat down, we talked about this whole, you know, nonprofit versus for-profit. And the funny thing was I had been talking a lot with Alexia and some of my friends that businesses are more so for-profit and are more in like the startup kind of realm. And I had heard, if you're thinking about starting a for-profit or a nonprofit, don't. Mm -hmm. And so I had this kind of in my head of like, okay, I understand the nonprofits are a hassle unless like you really, you know, it makes sense. You maybe shouldn't be a nonprofit. And so I was just trying to at least think critically as we're starting this big thing of like, how should we do this? And the great thing was Jalen's already been working in this industry for 10 years, has worked for different kinds of outlets and has seen what the, the funding model dictates in terms of what that looks like in the pressures in the newsroom and from the editorial team and from the, a board when you're talking about a nonprofit um, or even a for-profit and those boards look different depending on the type. So she was very adamant that she almost, not that she wasn't open to having the conversation, but I think she was a little bit frustrated at like, okay, I've thought through this, like, mm -hmm. like nonprofits really it. And I was pretty easily convinced by that. And that's because, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm not convinced that there aren't other models that can work. And there are co-op models. There's all kinds of models that aren't necessarily nonprofit. Um, but I think the important thing for us was that we wanted to be investigative. So to be investigative, independence is extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, and we want to be community oriented. And so at the end of the day, getting the bulk of our funding from advertisers, first of all, isn't the smartest thing as a, a news outlet anymore, um, generally as a business decision, but also really limits your freedom in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, if we were to get the bulk of our funding some other ways, uh, you know, you can be beholden to certain uh, powers. And nonprofit news outlets are not immune. We talked to one out of uh, out of another state that said they had um, a big donor that had given them like ten thousand or twenty thousand bucks, which was like big chunk of their budget. And then they wrote a story about some scandal in that person's family, and they pulled the donation. So it's mm -hmm. it's not like at the end of the day um, you're immune, but it, but at the end of the day we are largely funded, especially matter. And at the stage we're at right now mostly funded by small donors. We have um, close to a hundred monthly donors who give us, you know, anywhere from $1 to like, I think our highest is like 50, maybe a hundred um, a month. And that really sustains us. And we've only been up for a couple of years. So our budget to give you an idea for this 
fiscal year, we have six months left in it is like $80,000. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty, you know, small, pretty much in the startup right. phase, very much so. How did you go about acquiring those? What is their value? What do they get in return for, for donating? So we offer, especially for those who give monthly, we offer a membership. So we we consider those people members. Um, what they One of the things that any member gets, regardless if you give $1 a month to matter, uh, is a bi-monthly members only newsletter. And mm-hmm. in that, I really do give like the behind the scenes of some of the things that we have going on, previews of things we have going on. So you're really getting a bit of a sneak peek of what's really going on in our, in our organization. Um, and then depending on what level you give at, you get stickers you know, t-shirts, different things. Um, but really the value is at the end of the day that we, we didn't go with a for-profit or subscription model. We went with a donation model, which at the end of the day is like a subscription. We did, we really care about accessibility. That's one of our number one values and people being able to access the news regardless of their income. And so that's why, um, it's really important for us to have those donations, those members who are essentially saying, I agree to sign up almost for this subscription mm-hmm. and pay maybe even way more. Or, you know, some of these people that are giving $100 a month, I'm sure they think that, you know, I think our reporting is worth that. Um, but they also are doing it because they think other people who can't afford to give $10 a month also deserve to have that. And so um, that's sort of where I don't remember how you phrased your question, but. Uh, going back to how, yeah, how, how do you, how do you get the subscribers? What's the value? Yeah, what's the value? What do they get in return? You guys are also fundraising right now, right? And, and the other thing, yes, we are. And, and I'll just mention one Mm -hmm. other thing is that we are community informed newsrooms. Most newsrooms are operating. Most newsrooms are operating very much outside of the community. They are not reflective of the community themselves. Their boards aren't the people that control, you know, their content and ultimately their marketing and things like that. We are locally owned and operated. Everyone that's part of our operations local, except for we are currently fiscally sponsored by the Institute for Nonprofit News while we're waiting for our own nonprofit status. Um, They are partners of ours. And um, we just really, uh, yeah, are focused kind of in that area. The next question you asked was about fundraising. And yes, so like I said, we have a bunch of small donors and we generally don't do a ton of fundraising through the year. We're putting out asks here and there. We try to put it throughout some of our materials, but we're generally not trying to completely spam people and constantly saying like, Hey, you need to basically pay for this content. We know we need to ask a lot as a nonprofit. That just unfortunately is the name of the game, Mm -hmm. but we really try to focus and hone in um, and kind of do a sprint of a fundraising campaign in November and December each year. Mm -hmm. So right now, uh, in the recording of this, we're uh, at the very end of it. Uh, and we've raised almost $10,000 uh, starting November 1st to now from small donors in Columbus. And there's a national campaign called Newsmatch, and they actually will match a lot of the funds that we get from donors. So they're, they will give us $14,000 in matching grant dollars for we're hoping to raise a total of $15,000 by the end of this week. We'll see if we hit our goal. Uh, but either way, we'll get those funds. It's not like Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. um Beyond this campaign, people can give any time of year. They can give just once. They can give as a monthly donor um, at our website at matternews.org. Awesome. How do you go about raising that money outside of the monthly stuff? Like I said, mainly just peppering it throughout some of our materials. We do put out social posts and emails occasionally that ask for funds. Um, and then we we do events, but a lot of them were 
fundraising focused events. We've been doing a live stream uh, every week, actually, uh, on Mondays, Matter Monday, for the last couple of months, and that's just during the fundraising period, um, where we talk about different aspects of the news industry, our operation, our coverage, um, and really try to connect with the community and like I said, a lot of that kind of value add is that we're really trying to be as accessible and embedded in the community as we can versus other newsrooms, mm -hmm. you know, doing tone deaf things and then issuing corrections and not that we won't ever cor issue corrections, but we really try to make sure as much as possible that we're really doing that community engagement on the front end. And that's one of the major roles that I play within the company. And then is like the monthly, is that go to your site or is there like a Patreon or like those kind of things? How do they, how do you handle that? Is it just something through your website? The it's monthly? just through our website. It's technically through PayPal. We're limited on yeah. kind of the, the options we can use for payment processing because of our fiscal sponsor and being a nonprofit in that mm -hmm. way. Um, so yeah, if you go to our website at matternews.org slash donate, any of our pages, you'll be able to get to there. Um, and it just basically routes through PayPal and it's just like a regular donation system. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So right now, right, focuses on, like we talked about earlier, kind of two matters, economic development and policing. Yes, how, number one, how'd you come to those two topics? Why, hey, these are the two most important ones we want to start with. And what are some of the, like, so like if, if we were to go on Matter right now, yeah. Matter News, what are some of the things you guys would be talking? Yeah. So if you go to matternews.org, you will see two main tabs that have to do with content. Mm -hmm. Those are, they're called policing and development. The first one, development, is our investigation that we come up with a name for each of these investigations. So we call it development for ease but and for people to kind of understand what we're talking about. But we also call it develop us is the name of that investigation. And we started that two years ago when we first started the organization. Um, and it's kind of a play on the word Columbus and the fact that they're always separating the us in the branding mm -hmm. and kind of like the together and the fact that the city, it's like, develop us. Like, the development's coming. Like, it's yep. happening all over the place. And then also there's a bit of a play on this. And, and uh, Isaiah Boyd, who's on our team, uh, Unknown is his artist name. He has a song coming out called Develop Us. And he kind of plays on this on this thought of develop us, develop us, the people. And sometimes my feeling is that Columbus is willing to offer a lot of like tax breaks and things to a lot of big companies, but I don't see as much willingness to offer programs and things to small businesses. Um, and, and so the idea is when it comes to economic development, when it comes to a lot of the housing development, who is being developed for, who is being sort of left out and who is this us that, that the city is including in a lot of their development plans. The reason why we decided development was an issue and that it was something we needed to explore with, with our uh, audience is because the city did a study in 2017. They hired companies to evaluate them. They didn't have explicit development goals. So they actually had the companies tell us based on these initiatives you see of ours, what do you think our development goals are? And we'll, I think they essentially said, you know, we'll agree to these goals if we agree. Um, and they laid out six goals, which I think are great goals. They're, you know, a downtown powerhouse, regional economic engine, um, and job center. Those three goals, the study determined they are doing really well at. And mm -hmm. I think that's what we tend to see in a lot of the development we're seeing and a lot of the things that are written about. Where I think I saw the disconnect is the three goals that relate to revitalized neighborhoods, sustainable develop, sustainable development, and equitable development. 
it said opportunity for alignment. Hmm. And then under sustainable, I think it said there are no policies aligned with this goal. So they even evaluated themselves saying we have, you know, all these things in place that ultimately the things we've said we want to do, these are the goals. But in terms of the policies and the things we have in place, we are falling short on those goals that actually are worried about benefiting everybody and being sustainable for the future of the city. That's why we decided to cover development. If you go to our website, you will see all kinds of things. One of the most classic things I point to people on our development tab, and you might have to scroll down a bit, is our gentrification explainer. We could not find anything on the internet like it that really breaks down kind of like the history of the word. And also I had no idea until I read a book called How to Kill a City by Peter Moskowitz that um, since 1979, there's been actually these four stages of gentrification. And they've actually, in the book, he he advocate, or they advocate for the adding of a couple of stages. One being stage zero, where it's like the government creates the conditions sort of through their policies for gentrification. And then stage five, where I don't think Columbus is quite here yet, but he advocates some cities are becoming so gentrified in the U.S., like San Francisco, that they're only affordable to the uh the global elite. Mm -hmm. Um, So we talk about just kind of all of that. And in those stages of gentrification, we kind of give examples in Columbus. Um, We have explainers. We've heard from city officials that they appreciate some of the explainers we've done about uh, area commissions, how those work in the city, historic commissions. We have a mini documentary that talks about a hotly contested um, Kaufman development project in Victorian Village that it was one of the only ones that's actually ended up like not going through because the residents were so um, upset with, with the height of the building and things like that. So a lot of our content, as we cover an issue like development, you'll notice on our site, very much starts out kind of issue focused and delving into what is the issue here. Um, And then ultimately we're going to be transitioning into solutions focused pieces and sort of where, where where are the solutions, where, what is being done in the community. Um, And that was really our focus for two years until May uh, or, or late May into June when the protests erupted in Columbus and we opened a policing investigation. So uh, there's a lot to say on that. (laughs) Yeah, but that's that's saying it lightly, but yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, Before we move on, though, the um, th- those are a couple things you mentioned that I see a lot in the city. One is, you know, the goals versus growth and alignment. And one thing that we've left behind, I wish we saw as much passion as uh, as public transit. I brought that up mm-hmm. all the time. I always talk about an interview, city officials, stuff like that. Real we're, quick, we're headed. Have you heard of the corridor concepts plan? The the what? corridor concepts plan. I don't believe so. So it's not, and I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but um, it's not, it may not be a train system, but the city does have this plan where they're creating- Oh, the dedicated buses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a glorified bus lane. So yeah, at least for it's like a bajillion dollars for 20, yeah, but it's that's like something that's like putting yeah. a, a bandaid on an open yeah. heart I surgery and being yeah. like, yeah, he died. You know, yeah. <laughs> we've failed miserably at that over yeah. the years. And I wish mm-hmm. people were as passionate about that as they are about everything yeah. else. Cause I, I post about development a lot and I don't agree with everything, but everything isn't gentrification, you know, as a city grows, like, do you want it to stay as like an empty parking lot? You know what I mean? And I, and, and that I get into people with, and then parking, people bitch about parking. And I'm like, move 10 minutes out of the city and you can have a whole driveway if you want. Like you can't have it all, right? Do you get economic growth? Do you get jobs? Do you get influx? Do you get teams? You know, you're going to have tax revenue, but there has to be cost. There has to be people there to pay it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I run into that every, I'm telling you, every time I post about development, 10, 20 people, and there, and there's hundreds and thousands of people that are happy about it, but there's always that really loud, they just complain about it. And you're like, okay, well, what's the, and I like what you said, the solution. 
you're just going to bitch about it. That doesn't help anything. What are we doing? What's the actual issue? How do we fix that? And it's just like, anytime they see a building, they just start screaming about gentrification. And I'm like, is it maybe? Yes. Is that this, is it every time? No. You know? And it's like, if we would have done that, New York would still be an Island. And obviously there's definitely problems with how it started. And, you know, hundreds of years later, here we are. And, you know, rent control, I have family out there and I actually only, I'm only living in Ohio because we gave a tax breaks to AP to, so my dad moved here. So there's definitely, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but like you're saying, every new development is you scream gentrification and parking. That's all I ever hear in Columbus. So I'm like, I think the education needs to happen on the, like you said, what is gentrification? Why isn't there parking? And did we screw up in other ways? And how do we fix it versus right. just ignoring it? Right. Well, well, I think the core question is when you go go about, hey, when you set out to develop and say, hey, we want to take Italian Village, we want to take Victorian Village, we want to we want to develop that, we want mm-hmm. to add new buildings, make it, you know, revitalize the area. Well, the core question is how do we revitalize the area without pushing out the people that are currently living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do we want to be? Like as a community, do we, are we developing and moving towards a city that we want to be in and, or to, to create? Mm-hmm. And as everyone, I mean, I don't think everyone, everyone's going to agree on that, but you know, do well, we, you could have people that are, are too ambitious and people who are too, uh, you know, complacent with what they are. And you have to find kind of like a meeting. You either are going to grow or you're going to deteriorate. Look at Detroit, for example, we could easily become a Detroit where they can't, bulldoze houses fast enough because of the way that they grew. They grew on the wrong economy and, you know, that changed, right? Mm -hmm. Detroit's the largest area city in in the country. It's the size of San Francisco and like New York combined and then some or something like that, just like with the the amount of space. Columbus is very spread out. You know, we complain about the height. Sorry, we're getting into like, but I I studied Columbus a ton and I'm like, I want it to, I want to see it develop, but I see a lot of things that we're doing and I'm like, we're doing, we're repeating where we build a mall in the downtown. We're not ready for it. Tear it down. Then we build a mall at Easton and then we build a mall here. So we have to tear that, you know, everything's getting, the Northland gets taken down because of East, you know, we're just like building something, tearing it down to make the new one in another place. We're doing it right now with Bridge Park. It's beautiful, but mm. we just made a second downtown in Dublin, right? Mm-hmm. Are we going to make three downtowns or do we want to make a city? You know, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm getting like, no, right? Cause, it's so, cause that shit it's... drives me crazy. I'm like, what are we trying to accomplish? Hmm. And are we on the same page? And that's the thing is yeah. just like, we tend to make one thing and do it five times. And then the one that doesn't have enough traffic dies. And then people are like, oh, well, you know, when my parents moved here, they were, there was Arlington. It wasn't even upper mm. Arlington yet. It was just Arlington. Mm. And they were, they were spreading out downtown and then downtown died. So now they're revitalizing it. But then they're tr- now I'm watching them move it back out again because of parking or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever price. And so are we going to end up doing 1990 all over again? Our overall organization over Matter News is Gray Matter Media. And the reason we named it that is because we feel like the news paints things like they're black and white. And often we know things are all Mm -hmm. kinds of shades of gray. And the gray matter in our brains helps us to simultaneously think and act. And the news often paralyzes us with the kind Mm. of information it gives and the kind of narratives it paints. So we really, with our uh, mini documentary called Development Dilemma in Victorian Village, I think that's the name of it. It's a tongue twister. Um, It and then this uh, upcoming piece that it'll probably be a ways out about corridor concepts. I think both really highlight some of these nuances because in the, uh, the Kaufman development project, that, that documentary, it really highlights kind of two things, like depending on the way you look at the documentary and the bend you might have on it, you might come out of it thinking, Oh, that big bad developer was like trying to get their way with this uh, neighborhood. 
Other people watch it and think, oh, those neighbors are NIMBYs and they, you know, not in my backyard types who just Mm -hmm. don't want to see things change in the neighborhood. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily, you know, I personally don't side with any of these people, but it's like, we need to have that conversation and understand those dynamics and Mm -hmm. and really have the, really have the nuance talked about there. We do, we will have a piece eventually talking about the corridor concepts. What I think is really interesting is the corridors, those high speed bus corridors that are going to be going out from downtown, that they're going to be concentrating. I think it's 60% of new businesses and 40% of new homes in those corridors in Columbus. Um, the, it, from what I can tell, I, my assumption is they say they did a lot of stakeholder development and things like that. They essentially went with the municipalities that could get on the same page that were already mm-hmm. looking through that to that future development. And so it's kind of a patchwork of things. And this is what we've heard from um, a lot of the leaders at like the regional level is like, we are doing the best we can with all these patchwork municipalities that some want development, some don't. It's like trying to kind of create a strategy overall is really difficult, like you were saying, mm-hmm. even yeah. though it would be super necessary. Yeah, that's something we that's something we screwed up a long time ago. And if we're on pace, like we sat down with the city, the city planners and stuff like that, and they're talking about how we're gonna double in size in twenty years or something like that total population. That's why we're doing right. the the. So not only are we behind, time. yeah, not only are we behind on public transit, but we're like extra. I'm, ter- <laughs> you know? I'm terrified for traffic in twenty years. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness! Oh, it's gonna be bad. But that's again. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll be flying around. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. that's the thing too. Is with the, with the dedicated, we sat down with uh, not to throw Shannon under the bus, but Shannon Harden was like got into deep on that. And he kind of agrees with me. Like, he's like, it's better than nothing, but you know, it's still a vehicle and it's still on a road. So it's like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a, it's an incremental increase. But the other thing is, is deciding, you know, our, what is it that we want individually? And is this where we want it? A lot of, like you said, the not in my backyard types, they're not willing to change. Like I used, I lived, when I moved back to Ohio in 2015, I lived downtown and my neighbors were always complaining about the people around them. And I'm like, you're like 60 Clearly you don't want to live downtown. You want quiet, move away, dude. Like this isn't the place for you. You know, if I'm going to go somewhere and complain about everything, like if I'm going to bitch about the cold every day, like move where it's warm, you know, yeah. don't bring everyone else down with you. Just fix your problem. And it's not always that simple, but, right. but it's if we got a lot of people but... that are unwilling to change, we, right. the community needs to be around. What, what do we want? What does Columbus want to be? And then let's work towards that. And I think we have enough people here that 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 want to see the city and the people succeed. We just need to get them the money, the attention. And, and like you said, like this tradition, I think the traditional news model is well outplayed and, and it's just waiting to die. Yeah. Like it's for di- sure. It's dying like, actively. I wouldn't say it's dead, but it's, 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 it's there. To give I'm, you an idea, Franklin County has lost 60% of its newspaper journalists since I think like 20, 2008. So, you know, we're just bleeding yeah. journalists just because, you know, we, those, those outlets have just been slashed. They've been, I don't know if y'all are aware, but, um, we've been, and we've been doing a lot to try to raise awareness about this because people sort of have an idea, but don't totally understand the reality and the, the gravity of the news industry and kind of where it's at. And, uh, it, it has really gotten to the point where, uh, one major company in the last year combined with the. Uh, like the two largest basically media conglomerates in the country that own newspapers uh, combined and now own most of the newspapers in Ohio, including the Columbus Dispatch, which used to be locally owned. Independent, by, yeah. yeah. So same thing happened to radio. iHeartMedia bought up every local yep. radio station. Yep. There was there was only a couple, 1025, which is now like 93.9 because you were trying to force them off of their right. uh, their antenna. Like the amount of money right. they were charging was an asinine. But yeah, they're just consolidating hey, pod, it all. Podcast industry hey. you know, yeah. is booming. <laughs> Boom. But what's going to happen is, is, is local storytellers and people who yep. are able to present information in a way that's not, mm-hmm. like, it, like it's hard because people want to give you money. I get that all the time. People will try to like, 
partner with and I'm like, I don't believe in your product or they're like trying to limit what you say. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, you have to kind of stick to a code that can easily be broken with money. Uh, yeah. You know, so that's, I think independent news is definitely where it's going, but it's, there's a long road ahead. JME Hospitality, your hospitality design partner. JME Hospitality works with food service facility owners, operators, and development pros to improve the overall efficiency of customer experience and the profitability of customer operations. JME has been consulting in the hospitality operations space for over 45 years, providing solutions for schools and universities, healthcare institutions, hotels, resorts, and more. They also have extensive experience working within the design, construction, and manufacturing sectors. JME specializes in helping with a variety of different problems, including the COVID effect, redesigning the customer experience to protect their clients and the public during the pandemic. JME is passionate about serving the community you live in. They're doing this by supporting cancer research as well as youth outreach. And JME is offering a free consultation to all Conquering Columbus listeners. Just visit jmehospitality.com. That's jmehospitality.com. And mention the Conquering Columbus podcast to receive your free consultation. Cassie, let's talk the future of matter. And and so where do you see your team going from here? What's the goal for the next three to five years? I'm imagining, you know, we talked about it a little earlier, bringing in more people, more journalists and and investigating more issues. But yeah, what are you thinking? Well, so that changes all the time. Uh, we, so we do have a three to five year plan, but mm-hmm. this last April, we had just set out that three to five year plan for the first time. And then national protests erupted. We had planned that we would hire our first employees next year, mid next year, and that we would open our second investigation after development in 2025. Mm-hmm. Then the protests happened and we opened our second investigation five years ahead of schedule. And we also uh, employed our first three employees, including myself, and hired hired an editor. And then Marissa is also paid by us now. We're not paid full time. We're not paid well, but we at least are not having so many other jobs on top of our uh, our matter jobs. So um, yeah, people don't realize how expensive it is to give away money. Oh my goodness. Like literally it's, it's, it's so fucking expensive to, to give away money. Sorry, it's, continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's expensive to yeah run a nonprofit to to make news content is not easy because we make multimedia news content. That's one of our biggest parts of our model. Um, is not just doing the typical articles, but but all kinds of things. And so as we evolve and as we have evolved, you'll notice that we're doing more in terms of um, video content. We have ideas for first place person video games that work, walk you through certain scenarios and, and processes. So there's a lot of innovation we want to do. We have a portable audio visual studio that we built that we were taking out into the community right before COVID hit. We had a whole plan to take it out into different parts of the community every month. So we'll be doing a lot more community engagement events, hiring actual like full-time staff and having a whole newsroom. Um, We will be probably focusing on these, continuing to focus on our development and policing investigations for quite some time because we really want to create an entire body of multimedia work Mm -hmm. 
on an issue to really illuminate um, all the different aspects of it. And so we've been covering development for a couple of years. Of course, at first we were publishing pretty slowly because of capacity. We're publishing more now, but we, you know, two years in, we feel like we've just started to scratch the surface. And so for the next several years, we're going to be focusing on development, focusing on policing locally. Um, and we've been doing uh, a lot of diving into uh, recent cases. And so I'll just briefly mention that in the near future, you'll be seeing a lot of content about cases like the police killings of Andre Hill and Casey Goodson Jr. And so we're also following very in-depth certain cases within the issues that we are we are covering and not only just covering them blanket and trying to cover everything about them, but looking at what the local news is putting out about those cases and saying, where are they missing things? Where are the gaps? Where do we need to investigate further and trying to really fill those gaps? And so you're going to see a lot of matter just evolving. It's thinking on what it covers and being really strategic. But really what our vision is, is that when we actually have like a full on staff and, and we're able to fundraise some more and we just build out our nonprofit board for the first time fully. Um, so we're having a lot more power at, behind our operation now that we just have more people behind it. Um, and so I have no doubt that we're going to be able to really, you know, increase our budget and things, but we're eventually going to have a team around each issue. So, mm -hmm. so we sort of have the structure already, um, where Jalen's the editor in chief, we have Tommy Mead, who's the policing editor and Marissa Twig, who is the development editor. And then we have contributors from the community and the, and then those editors too, that make content around those issues. The idea being that as we go on through these years, we're going to become subject matter experts. We're going to understand be better exactly what this issue is locally, how to talk about it better, what the nuances are, what kind of the root causes and common solutions look like. And that's really going to inform our reporting and make it better as we go along. So that's really what, what we're really focused on and, and just, you know, raising funds to be able to do that, which is always the challenge, you know. Of course. And so where can people go to find all this content? We mentioned the website. Yeah, earlier, when you say published, is it all digital? Right. I was going to ask So that. yes, we are digital first. We would love to eventually create some physical products, but just capacity and budget. But as of right now, most of our content lives at matternews.org. We do have some content that lives more natively on like our YouTube, but usually it's in one of our articles. And then we do put out content on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And we do try to tailor, well, like you kind of started bringing up earlier, we try to tailor our content to those different platforms and really give you different bites of, sometimes we're putting out graphics on Instagram that are explaining new things that have happened. And so um, we're matternews underscore on most platforms um, and at matternews.org. Perfect. And Cassie, I think, you know, good place to kind of uh, pivot towards our last question of the show here. It's been great talking to you today. And that question is centered around the theme on our show, which is live uncomfortably. Mm. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular theme, what do you think of when you hear the phrase and uh, how does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, I actually have been very uncomfortable the last years and they've been the best years of my life. I starting a news outlet when you have no journalism background, stepping into covering protests where, that are like a war zone, you know, none of that was comfortable, but it all was in line with my intuition and our team's intuition about what gap we're filling and what our mission really truly is. Um, and I really tell people, do as much as you can, uh, especially if you're the kind of person that thinks, I think logically through all my decisions, you know, 
ditch the logic every once in a while, put the spreadsheet aside and just go on your intuition. And some of those decisions are going to make you make uncomfortable decisions and put yourself in uncomfortable situations, but they're ultimately really going to pay off. And especially in terms of my biggest advice to anyone that wants to start anything epic, just reach out to people, Mm -hmm. take that step, just start doing stuff and be a little uncomfortable. Just tell people you like what they're doing. You want to connect and it's going to pay off. Love it. Love it. Cassie, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great talking to you. Yes, you too. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And if uh, you guys enjoyed that interview, well, you can check out more of their journalism at matternews.org. And when we post this episode, we'll tag all their links and social. So you'll be able to find them there. But uh, if you enjoyed that episode, you want to hear more of these types of interviews throughout your week, subscribe, hit that subscribe button. There's a little bell usually on, I think, iTunes, but everything else, I'm sure there's a button somewhere. Look at it, hit the button. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you next week. (laughs) 